0: Welcome to series 10 episode 1 of York Hospital Ball with arguably the best manager in York City's history, the legendary Dennis Smith. Dennis took the reins as player manager in 1982 and led the club to one of their most successful eras which included becoming the first side to achieve over 100 points as well as beating Arsenal in the FA Cup. Dennis went on to manage over 1000 games and here he speaks about his long career in football. This episode is proudly sponsored by Planning Prospects, a planning, development, and regeneration consultancy company who specialise in obtaining planning permission for clients across the country. If you have land or property and want to secure planning permission, then they may be able to help. You can inquire about their services by visiting their website, www.planningprospects.co.uk. www.planningprospects. .co.uk York Hospital Ball is a spin-off podcast from York Hospital Radio a charity who recently celebrated 59 years of providing a service to patients in York Hospital if you enjoy these podcasts then please do consider donating via our Just Giving page justgiving.com slash yorkhospitalradio that's justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio, but for now, here is the opening episode of the new series of York Hospital Ball with the brilliant Dennis Smith.
1: So absolute pleasure to have you here in the studio, Dennis, as one of York City's most successful managers. We'll have so much to discuss about your time at Booth Crescent. But I wanted to touch upon your playing career to start with. I mean, I've just reread your autobiography this week, just one of seven. And you were so committed to being a professional footballer, it feels like, you know, you would have stopped at nothing to, to kind of achieve your dreams.
2: Oh, without any shadow of a doubt, that was my attitude as a I made a decision at eleven. I refused to take me eleven plus because they didn't play football at the high school, and the headmaster wasn't very happy and everything else. But I've got no. I want to be a footballer, and they don't play football at the high school. They only play rugby, so I went to a secondary modern school. Came through it okay, <laughs> head boy and all the usual stuff, and but I had a successful football career there. But I started my management there, and because the school teacher was taking. The football team left, we hadn't got anybody to take over, so I took it over, and we actually won the cup that year, the year we left.
1: So, you got the bug even as far back as, as sort of it, it, during your time at school then?
2: Um, yeah, playing and management. I, yeah, basically, I think that being brought up with brothers and sisters, I was used to working with different people and different mm. attitudes, and so I felt as though I could relate better than a lot of people to to groups so I could work with them and get them working the way I thought was the correct way. Even at 11 I was fairly confident in my own ability. Mm.
1: And, and you once uh, held the title as the most injured man in football which uh, I was trying to sort of research the amount of injuries that you had but it it, took, it could have taken up the whole of this uh, sheet of paper here but amongst their sort of five broken legs you were close to having an England call up I think at one point but couldn't get yeah. it because you were injured was, was that not a regret but almost a frustration when you look back on your
2: career oh yeah I mean I, I think without any shadow of a doubt I, I possibly would have gone to the we didn't qualify for the 74 mm. World Cup so I think I would, that would would be on my prime and I think I, I was in line for, for a call up then and then other times uh, I know Alf Ramsey called me into his squad and I got injured I got called up into a get together for a weekend with, under Don Revy there was 20 odd of, of us there at the top I, I mean I played it continued to play but 1975 I had a cartilage out and the same day my mum died so I came out of hospital too early really and it blew up inside the plastic cast, and my pace dropped after after that. My knee hasn't bent more than forty-five degrees since nineteen seventy-five to add a new knee and put it in January. It's better now.
1: Right, you get back on the pitch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, nearly five hundred games for Start, You won the League Cup. I think you're in cup semi-finals. Won promotions as well. With it being your hometown club as well, you must have so much pride looking back on your time with Stoke City.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, at the time a decent player as he was there, and I, you know, I wanted to play for Stoke City, that was it. That was my dream and then I wanted to play for England, but at that time, early, mid-70s, you know, Man United came in for me, got invited to Bobby Charlton's testimonial and thought, why am I being invited? And I had Bobby one side and Danny Lord the other side. I was saying, oh, yeah, you're stoked, are <laughs> They were trying to get me to go to Man United. Leeds made a, a world record bid for me uh, for a centre-half. Um, that was turned down. And the one I possibly would have liked at the time uh, was Ajax Ajax came in after we played Ajax in Europe and uh, that would have been they were the best team in the world at the time so to go to Ajax at that time possibly I, I would have gone because I then wouldn't have been playing against Stoke either so,
1: unless they were yeah, in Europe of So and Was that around the time that Johan Cruyff would have been playing? Uh, Johan
2: just left Johan left around about about a month before we played, we played them. Yeah, right. But they still a decent. were still a yeah, decent
1: side. And, and I think Nottingham Forest as well were trying to sign Well, Didn't well, Brian Clough, like he was, Cluffy? He was speaking yeah. to your wife more than you, I think. Clough, uh, at one Cluffy point.
2: spent a lot of time talking to Kate. I'd get home and Kate says that man's been on the phone again. <laughs> uh, and yeah, Cluffy tried constantly to to get me to go there, but Stoke wouldn't sell me, and, and we didn't have the same control uh, over your destiny as their yeah. players have they lot more power you know, they had age, agents and everything else, we just basically, they put a contract in front of you and you signed it, and that was it yeah. there was no negotiation
1: <laughs> One of the other things in my research as well that I came across was that you played a cricket match against Lancashire and you clean bowl David Lloyd, do you remember that? Yeah, I did. I was a decent
2: cricketer. I played in a league when we could in the summer because we spent a lot of time touring because we had Gordon Banks, Jeff Hurst, World Cup winners in the side. We travelled the world when the season finished playing charity games, Iran, Australia, you name it. We went. So I didn't get much time to play cricket, but I loved my cricket and I was, a yeah, they're reasonably... Quick, uh, you know, the level I played was sort of semi-pro when I could play in the in the summer. Left arm, quick bowler, so, yeah. Uh, David Lloyd, middle stump, yeah. And I'm trying to remember the other... His other England opener, I got out as well, and he was caught in slips. So he wasn't very happy at all. Right. But then Clive Lloyd came in and the ball kept disappearing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I didn't put that in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sort of going back to coaching, I, I I read as well that when you were sort of coming towards the end of your career, you, you were finding it quite easy sort of playing and, and you were often coaching the opposition players during the games, oh, so well, te- telling them how to sort of play yeah. against you.
2: Well, we played in the Championship. I'd to, I mean, what is now the Championship, yeah. I was used to saying at in the, in the top level so it was boring the ball would come up to them they control it they play it off they'd go and you go look I was too far away from you then you could have turned and come at me or I was too tight you could have spun So, and they look at me I don't <laughs> you know if they listened they'd learn if they didn't it was easier for me but it was that dropping level from where I've been used to playing, it, yeah. it, it was a lot easier.
1: And, and speaking of a dropping level, obviously you came to York City on loan in 1982. What what were your first impressions of a club?
2: An absolute disaster. I went in, training was non existent. I mean, one of the first days training with Friday, they had the lads running that much on and being sick. And I'm thinking, it's Friday, It should be doing tactics. Uh, so I said, no, sorry, I can't do this. Oh, yeah, big time, I go in the gym with... And I went in the gym, and fortunately I did, because I go in there, and there's a kid in there who could actually play. And, the, yeah, there's this blonde kid there knocking the ball out and touch and movement. I'm thinking, oh, hey, not bad. So... Barry Swallow who was in charge at that time went and said who's the blonde kid in, in the gym he said oh that's John Byrne I said he's the only one I've seen here who can play he says oh no we try and get rid of him he said why he said well he's allergic to grass I said, allergic <laughs> to grass and he, he got asthma <laughs> but Barry so you know fortunately that was fortunate for me I went in and saw that and I saw you know other things but yeah my first game was all and we got beat 4 nil, and I was because I was playing a totally different game than everybody else on my yeah. side. I was trying old lines, and I was standing next to Keith Welwyn because everybody else had dropped off. So it was different. So I said to him, you know, fancy taking the job. Can I come in? Came in. I brought Viv Busby with me because I looked and thought, well, the defence needs sh- shoring up. I-, I can go in. Viv was a stri- good striker but we got good players here but they didn't realise they got good players and I mean the goalkeeper got player of the year and he'd let about 250 goals in or something, it was ridiculous. Yeah it was 98 but you, you
1: weren't <laughs> far off there. Yeah,
2: yeah. And <laughs> you are going, without well, being rude, he wasn't the best. So we need, I, I just needed to change the whole feel of the place, it, it was, the coaching was archaic, if it, if it existed, mm, the Training facilities were poor. The the kit they trained in was just dumped on the floor. It was just there was no sort of professionalism. Yeah, although it was a football club, it wasn't a professional football club in my opinion. So I changed that. Uh, got lads believing in themselves. Changed the tall back four and the goalkeeper. Yeah. But then you got people like Malcolm Crosby who could come in. Derry could. you yeah, You got good players. There, I mean, Short Hayes gave a bought-in as well to go in the midfield. But, you know, we got Brian Pollard, It was Brilliant, Polly, getting forward. Wasn't too happy to get back, but he had to. Yeah. Gary Ford could do his job. Then you've got Big Keith and John Byrne. That's a hell of a forward line at that mm. level.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that, because you, you've literally talked about, about half the questions on, on my sheet oh, of sorry. paper here. But that, that's great how, how you can kind of remember, you know, those vivid memories of, of that time and, and when you first came in. And and like I, I was going to come on to there, but the players I have interviewed from that era all talk about this sort of change in mentality. And one of my questions was, was that a conscious thing it sounds like it probably was there from what you've said you recognized all these different things that were, the professionalism wasn't there but i didn't know whether that was just cuz you'd played at a higher level and you you were kind of bringing that that into the team or whether it was a you know just a subconscious yeah. thing that, that But that no you were that,
2: doing. that was my belief same say I'd run the school team i'd done a sunday morning team you know you're a player i'm going to look after you but you've then got a return yeah you know, my job is to make your job as easy as possible and I will do that as long as you then go in return. And you do that by going out on the pitch, giving me 100% and enjoying it. Mm. And you know, I think that's a fair deal. Yeah. If you I mean, don't agree, you can go.
1: I mean, looking back on those early days, I mean, yourself and Viv Busby, you mentioned that you brought in as a coach. You slept above uh, a laundrette and kept right, bobble, bobble hats on in the winter to keep the cost <laughs> down. I mean, it, it was hardly glamorous. And also, I think most nights you were out scouting other players. Was, back then, I think the manager almost did everything, didn't they? Uh,
2: yeah, we, we would, would scout players. It was my job. Yeah, I'd phone Kate up, and Kate was still living in Stoke at the time, selling the house, and I'd go, right, we we're going to watch you know, Aston Villa, Sheffield United. And, you know, why are you going? So I'm coming down, so I'll meet at the house and then we'll travel down to Birmingham, to Villa, watch the game, come back and I'll drive back up. Mm. So I did see my wife at the games. <laughs> I took her <laughs> to the game and actually it was John Mac, I remember It's John MacPhail I was watching. I've gone, she's gone, you're not going to sign him, I you? And I'd, I've gone, yeah. And she's gone, no, no. So... She, and, She's been watching football since she was 15, because that's when we met. And uh, and on this one, she was wrong, because it was John MacPhail.
1: And he, he turned out <laughs> to be great Not
2: very player. often Kate's wrong, so that was one of the cases. <laughs>
1: I mean how important was your sort of relationship with Viv Buzz because particularly that first season you, you like you said the team conceded 98 goals the season before yeah. you almost needed to be on the pitch I know you were sort of coming towards the end but oh, yeah. you wouldn't be able to kind of do both would you was it, it, no, it was you needed you somebody, somebody you
2: that trust. you could trust yeah. off the field and I could trust Viv and you know I could give him the nod on what I wanted and he we'd go through everything before so yeah he, he, he did that job I mean he was fitter than me but I, we needed a central. More than we needed to centre forward, so yeah. but he was always there, he could come on if necessary as a striker. But once I got in there, all I did was talk. I've always been able to do that. <laughs> so you just pull people about and you know, it helps with your goalkeeper. They have to be all work as a unit and people talking helps to do that.
1: And you also mentioned in your book your relationship with Michael Sinclair, the chairman at the time, and you sort of cite him as as a real key man. And I guess as someone with your first managerial job, you kind of needed a board that was going to back you.
2: I needed somebody who believed in me. And Michael did. I mean, I wasn't very happy when I left. But that—that's—that's that's the business. But in the end, what he did at that time for the club with the people he bought on board, Colin Webb was brilliant. And I got lovely car and Volvo. <laughs> brilliant. So, yeah, that was better than when I went to Sunderland actually. Because at Sunderland, I didn't have a car. York had a car. And at Sunderland, I didn't. Ridiculous. <laughs>
1: And that kind of first season sort of set the foundation, didn't it? I think you had a, a real good sort of momentum towards the end of it. Knowing that you were going to have to stop playing, how important then was that signing of John McPhail? You mentioned that you went yeah. to scout him. Was it a few times you went to watch yeah, him? Yeah,
2: yeah, I'd, I'd heard about him, went to watch him a couple of times, but the last time was, at, yeah, I think it was Villa, so I watched him. And then Ricky Sprazier, you see? Ricky doesn't get the credit he deserves. Brilliant football brain. No pace, and that was his supposedly problem but it Mm. isn't if you've got a brain you you go in the right place before the the other person does and he he could read it but I'm trying to remember he'd had a big move and the manager wanted him go and kick and tattle and that wasn't Ricky's game Mm. so when he come he says uh, he's diving in I'm saying what are you doing he says well that's what the manager I said I do I want you stand up on your feet and Mm. When you got it, pass it. So said, yeah. what, you would allow center half to pass it? Yeah, please.
1: <laughs> Probably <laughs> yeah, had it, so, had of your time there.
2: <laughs> so, it, it, and he was brilliant. And those two together were ideal. Then I brought Alan A, Bristol City. We uh, were in all sorts of turmoil and getting rid of players for nothing. So got Alan A from Bristol City. And then Chris Evans, I knew, from, from Stoke because he'd come from Arsenal to Stoke. wasn't quite good enough for Stoke, mm. but I thought, yeah, he'd do me a good job. And So I got a complete back four in midfield. I'd got guns yeah, He'd stopped doing his pull-ups on the door and everything. And he'd, He wanted to get forward more than I would allow him to. He used to have to sit and be defensive, but then I brought in Sean alongside him and, and bubbled, Yeah. Was brilliant on and off the field, yeah. yeah. The, his attitude, his old mentality, was enjoyment, but energy, and vigour, and livened everything up. The, you know, the dressing room was lively with with Sean in it, and so you you get different characters, mixing them together, and you. you, you it sounded can,
1: like it was all like part of a jigsaw, almost. That you yeah, needed different different, different pieces people. to kind of get it to all work.
2: Well, that's a yeah. That's how you put your teams together. You look mm. and you go, right, they they got that strength, so you bring another strength in to yeah. balance out. with. But he's got a weakness there. So you try and get that balance and get the players playing the, the way that you want. And you're fortunate if they all drop into place. No manager always makes good signings. Any manager who says he didn't make a bad signing is telling your lies. Generally, most of them worked, and I was delighted with them.
1: One thing that made me chuckle um, reading the book again was when you wanted Steve Senior's eyesight tested, He said that he, he was kind of under the lights, he was struggling and, and to sort of work out the flight of the ball and stuff like that but you to not single him out you got the whole squad got, tested. Well, yeah. And then it you turn, it turned out that he, his eyesight was fine, but Roger Jones, your keeper, was Would blind you? in one yeah. eye. <laughs> yeah. I mean I'd
2: known Jonesy from Stoke, I'd brought him in and came back and I've got I've got all these reports. Steve Cena just can't see under lights, obviously, in the air. But Jonesy, you're blind in one eye. Do you know that? He says, Oh yeah I said, Didn't you ever think of telling me? He says, don't affect me, <laughs> and
1: I'm got <going>, fine. <laughs> and a fantastic goalkeeper as well, brilliant. A
2: bloke and everything else, different class bloke.
1: Your second season was just incredible, wasn't it? I mean, the the first team ever to get over a hundred points, ninety six goals, thirty one wins in forty six games. I mean, again, the the players that I've spoke to from that era just just sort of they said they expected to win every single game. Were you the same as a manager? Did you go out expecting to kind of steamroll some of these teams?
2: Well. You don't go out there expecting to lose. If you do, then you shouldn't be going out there. You know, and My attitude is always, right, we're going out there. If you think you're not going to win, don't go out. You know, let's get the, the attitude right. Let's get the approach right. We know what we've done during the week. We know how good we are. Let's see if they're better than us. And if they prove to be, fine. But... Don't go out there thinking, well, they're better than us. That's the wrong yeah. approach.
1: But confidence is such a big thing in football, isn't it? I think, I think, sort of, the confidence of us players was obviously to, to. I know, I know what you're saying. That players wouldn't go out and expect to lose. But, but I think there's a big thing to kind of, not arrogantly, but, but sort of expect to just, just win every yeah. time. It's particularly at and Crescent as well, where the well, home form was fantastic. That was what we drilled
2: into them, self and Viv. Look, you don't play football for long. It's here to be enjoyed. The fans want to see us playing well you want to do well for yourself for your family let's go and enjoy it don't come in with any regrets if you've had a bad game and you can all your hand up and say sorry gaffer I messed up there or whatever you can live with that if I think you're genuine but don't come trying to give me stuff after that and then you've not put a shift in yeah. then I won't accept it and it's it's working within those guidelines with lads who you know can do. I didn't ask anybody to do things that they weren't capable of doing. Mm. So if I asked the player, you know, my full backs had got to get forward and get crosses in, you know, and it was part of the job and the wing wingers had to get back and, and do the defensive work. If they didn't do it, they were told, you know, ask Brian Pollard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you, you need you need to be. I mean, in the end, Polly went, and but I was fortunate. I went to watch Harrogate Railway play, and brought in Tony
1: Cannum who did okay for me. He did do okay. Yeah, yeah. you mentioned in your book about his tattoos. As yeah. <laughs> well, that weren't fashionable at the time. They weren't fashionable at the time, no. And there was a lot of things
2: uh, about Tony that people possibly didn't think were fashionable, but what I liked about him was he could half go past people and he could score goals. He uh, could. A wide player who could score goals, and his attitude he was he, he thought he was a good player. I thought he was a good player, so we were on the same page. Yeah.
1: And, and I mean, the transformation in, in the crowds as well was astonishing. I mean, like I think they were sort of around the 2,000 mark when you first came in, mm. but, you know, that season against Doncaster it was sort of above 11,000. Yeah. Um, you know, similar for the last game against Bury as well, which, you know, fans spilling on the pitch. I mean, that, that must have given you a real sense of satisfaction looking back, like, in such a short space of time as well. We we're only talking kind of a couple of seasons here, right? Yeah,
2: we? I mean, you were getting into everybody buying into what you were trying to do. They could see... I think, I mean, fortunately, because I'd worked with the radio and things like that, you know, helping to set up a radio station, I understand the power of the media. I told you i run a Sunday morning team, but I would then do a match report for the local newspaper mm. for that. So I was always into the media side of things. And basically, you're entertainment. You've got to sell yourselves. You know, you know just go out there and say, oh, we're here. Come and watch. No, you've got to make it interesting. Why do they want to come? I've got to come and have a look at my my centre forward. Come and have a look, walk around, Chris. know yeah. Keith Welwyn, See see how many days it takes you. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, and yeah. It's you. It's it's a, a sales thing, but you've got to also deliver in the end.
1: Yeah, of course. And, and delivering the end, you know, is certainly something you did. I mean, like I say, over 100 points, the first team to ever do that. Was that a big thing for you as a, as a manager, sort of going forward, thinking, you know, I could be the first manager of a team to, to achieve that feat? Or, or did it not matter? Did, it didn't
2: it- matter. I mean, pff, wanted to do it, yes, of course. It's the first one ever to do it. So, yeah, I'm in the record books along with York City. Uh, you ask that in a quiz on a Monday night at, at pubs around the around the country. I don't think many'd get York City.
1: That's what I mean. You know, you, you, you'd been in the Guinness Book of Records for being the most injured player, but to be in it to be the yeah, first manager but, to get over 100 points you know, is massive, isn't
2: it? You know, I, I'm in records, because I've done over a thousand games in, in management. There's only about 20 of us ever done that. You know, yeah, I'm. A, was in the Guinness Booker Records. Yeah, I'm a, the most injured player, possibly. I mean, I've got a plate in my neck, a plate in my arm, a, a new hip, spike up through my hand with bolts, a new knee, bits all over the place. And I enjoyed my career playing-wise. And... Yeah, I'm a paying for it. Yeah, but I'm still here. I mean, my school teacher said I wouldn't live till I was 21, so I proved him wrong.
1: <laughs> Just a bit. I mean, good players are important, obviously. And um, but but these were mainly sort of free transfers. And you mentioned like later on getting people like Tony Cannon picking them up from like Harrogate Railway. So team spirit must have been really vital for for a side like that. And I and I, I, I sort of noted about. Players talking about Booth and tavern on a on a Tuesday where you take them out and the the players used to say, "Can we go out because it's Sean Hazelgrave's birthday?" And then you realise that he, he was having about three three or four birthdays a year. Oh, but but you kind of t- turned your you know blind eye to that because yeah. you wanted the players to have that camaraderie. They, was that important? Yeah, to you? It's,
2: it's important that they they get on, they work together. Don't have to go out socialising. I mean, uh, but if that blended them together, as long as they they didn't get in any trouble while they were out in town, cause anybody to have negative thoughts about what they were doing, then I'm fine with the players going to have a couple of pints if it's responsible and act like grown-ups, then I'll treat you like a grown-up. You act like an idiot and a child, then I'll treat you like that. So it's up to them to respect me by behaving in the right manner.
1: And I think you were saying as well that there's a perception that players sort of go out and that they're drinking to excess and then, you know, trying to pick up girls and all that. But actual fact, you said players would just talk about football and, yeah. and about how to improve. And actual fact, those sort of ses- drinking sessions, if we call it that, were actually important to the kind of development of players yeah. back then.
2: Yeah, people think that, you know, oh, young lads going out getting, no, a lot of the time, you get the odd. Within any group of... Wherever I've worked, if you ever go into any business, if you're in the police force, and if you're in the army, there'll be a group who like to drink to excess. And within football, there is always groups like... But we didn't have one of them. We had lads like socialising and going have a few beers. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that as long as it's done at the right time.
1: Yeah. And, and let's talk about some of the players that, that, that you had at, at York City. I mean, Keith Walwyn, I mean one of York City's greatest ever players obviously sadly died you know extremely young, young. young. Um, I think Viv used to keep him and John Byrne back after training but what what was it like working with Keith because I mean when I, when I speak to my dad about Keith Wall you he, he can tell he just, he's just there in that moment he's, he's taken back to and Crescent he, he remembers that people. he was just unplayable on uh, his day Keith was incredible strength
2: beautiful man first and foremost yeah, he'd, he'd come over and you could talk to him and, and he, he would he would take it in and, and you get feedback. It wasn't just, mm, all right. You'd always get a feel out of him. But what you got was 100% every game. Now, when I came, I'm thinking, what's he doing? He should be doing that. So you had to tweak him a little bit, especially Viv's movements and things like that. But I've got Viv. Every cross he comes, he's standing in the middle and just jumping, just imagine the height he can get if, with a running jump. And so Viv goes out and crossing. Come in and say, How, how'd that go? He says, can't do it. So what do you mean he can't do it? He says, he can't get the timing with a running and jump as a standing jump. I said, but, I said, well, leaving his tears because he stands in the middle and out jumps everybody anyway. So, but you're always looking if you can tweak people and improve them. And... Keith on that, I was wrong. Just his standing jump was so good, he didn't have to mm. get his timing to come and run. But he, he was so powerful for runs in behind. A lot of the times, people were wanting to play defeat, and I said, well, really? Bernie's the one who should be coming and trying to defeat to start things off. Keith, you run that way. Now, when the big man started going that way, if you were a centre-half, I felt for you, because you know there'd be bodies all over the place, and Keith would look around and think, what happened to them? And it was just, they were just bouncing off him. It was just such a powerful. And when he got into his stride, he was unstoppable. So you, you play to players' strengths. And his strength was game in the sense of the six yard box, get the ball in, he'd out jump the goalkeeper, he out jump everybody and edit in the net. And there'd be three or four bodies lying around as well. It was just such natural power mm. that he got and such a desire to win. It was it was brilliant, and he was here when I came. And same, John Byrne, hell of a player. I took John Byrne to Sunderland, I took, took him to Oxford. And I, the kid could play. So you got those players with the club, Gary Ford. Well, he was well, the next
1: one I was going to ask you about, because I think I read you quoted as saying, when you used to speak to Malcolm Huntington about the team news, you, you used to say, I'll pick Gary Ford and ten others. Because yeah. he, he was kind of important to you, kind of what, what he could give you.
2: Well, he'd, he'd get them crosses in and Keith would get on the end of them. You know, I mean, and it, his work rate, up and down, there's no ifs or buts. I mean, when I first came, I was left-footed. When I was playing, I'd just go ping with my left foot and fordy go, can you do that all the time? i have gone, yeah, you just start running, and the ball out. will come. But John McPhail could do that and Ricky Sprayser could do that. It's just getting the players. So Fordy then, once he'd gone, Whoa, well, all I've got to do is pull the full-back short and then spin and get in behind, and they'll find me. And mm. that's what we did with him. His work rate and everything, his attitude was first class.
1: You make it, fo- football sound such a simple game, Dennis. It is. <laughs> I also read as well that you tried to sign Gary Pallister and Steve Bold, two players that I never knew could have ever signed for York City. Was there any others that sort of slipped through the net? I mean, those two obviously went on to a <laughs> fantastic Yeah, well, career.
2: Boldy I knew from, so. from Stoke and, yeah, Gary Pallister, yeah. Gary Pallister, I saw him in Middlesbrough Reserves, I'm trying to remember. No, before he played local football, I'm trying to remember. I went up to watch him in non league games. Yeah, maybe a game. some, yeah some every, or somewhere like that. And I'm looking, thinking, oh, hold on a bit. Yeah. So, yeah, he they, 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 they didn't because he, he went to Middlesbrough. And, yeah, but you've got to go out and look. If you don't go out and look, then you don't see. And why can't players come through from local level? Yeah, Especially yeah, big centre fours, big centre halves, because they grow at, this, yeah, at mm. different times. Or people like Tony Cannon who come through and had a bit of a. Different upbringing, you know, a, a few problems in his youth. TC was brilliant for me. Yeah, you know, what, what, why can't you give those people an opportunity if they can play and they're going to make their own life better, but also put a smile on people's faces?
1: Mm. Do you do you think that that's sort of changed a bit now, hasn't it? you don't sense, it, I know, like someone like Jamie Vardy's come up through the leagues, but you don't <laughs> get as many now, do you, that, that are kind of plucked from from these sort of local leagues.
2: Well. T- No, everything's now grown in hot houses of the academies and I see a lot of academies I've, I've done a lot of work with Stoke City Academy when I retired from playing and you see them coming through but in the end, there's nothing like playing in the men's game to find out what you can achieve. If you look at lads coming into academy at at 11, 12, and every how great they were, and see what the percentage rate in, as a parent you'd be worried, because it's about one percent. Yeah, you, know, you want to make sure your lads got an education. Paul, my young uh, eldest son who's here, and Tom, my young son, could both play to a decent level, but they had a good education as well because. Your education in the end is is vitally important, and you've got to make sure that if you're relying on your kid, eight, nine, ten year old who goes in to a Premier League club and think he's going to make it, just look at the odds and the odds is he isn't. So you've got to prepare him otherwise, how he's going to live how, what, what his life's going to be? Yeah, this is a great life out there for a lot of different things. Professional football at the moment looks like, yeah, heaven. But getting there and staying there is extremely hard work.
1: Yeah. I mean, probably the, the, the sort of individual result you're best remembered for at York City is, is obviously when they beat Arsenal in the 1985 in the FA Cup fourth round. Again, the players that I spoke to said that although, like, Arsenal were fifth, I think, in the old first division, mm-hmm. what would have been a Premier League now, and you are in Division Three. the kind of players, you all fancied it. You, you kind of... Had that incredible self-belief, and again that mentality that that people talked about around that era. Yeah.
2: And they looked at the pitch and they didn't fancy it. We did.
1: Yeah. Do you yeah. think that was a factor? Because
2: yeah, think- it's got to be a factor. It was yeah you know, January or whatever, so the pitch mm. wasn't pristine. But it was it was a football pitch. You know, we could play on it. Why can't they? Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's up to them if they're as good as they think they are, come and prove it. They couldn't.
1: I mean I mean I think Brian Foster, Fozzie, the, the groundsman <laughs> was there at five forty five, I think, putting straw down. What What's your memories of of him? Because oh, he sounds like a real character.
2: That is an understatement. Yeah, brilliant. Fozzy loved him to death because he, he'd always come in and gaffer, what do you want today? Do you want to narrow narrowing a little bit? You know, cause we can do throw ins or mm. you want to widening Or do you want to do this? You want to do that? And he was always enthusiastic about we, what we were trying to do. And he'd be one of the ones who who wanted to take the lads out for it. Sean's going out for a drink. Can I go with him? I'm going. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah. You know, so he was part of, of the group. Group. He mm. felt part of the team. He, he felt part of what we were doing, and we appreciated what he was doing on the pitch. And how he was getting the pitch right for us.
1: He didn't like people going on the pitch, did he? Oh, though, I think?
2: you'd liable to get a pitchfork in your back if you got it during the week.
1: And, and that Arsenal game, I mean, watching it back again, it, you know, the atmosphere at Boone Crescent looks, looks. I, oh. I mean, I, I think some of it looks unsafe, to be honest. When the, when the fans are sort of celebrating and stuff, but. But it must have been an incredible time to be part of that, that era of York City. I mean beating that Arsenal.
2: Seems to say they'd beaten us ten years before, twice, two semi finals running, two years running, and people in Stoke still think we were robbed, bad refereeing so so to put one over on them, yeah, give you a little bit of pleasure. It would have been better going to an FA Cup final, but yeah. yeah. Of course.
1: Yeah, there's a little, little bit of revenge <laughs> for you there. I mean with um, I mean it's a stonewall penalty as well I mean when you watch it back and The guy's climbing on his back Were you, were you nervous as a manager When that penalty is given Because obviously it's the last minute You're on the verge of beating beating Arsenal And obviously you can't do anything on the sidelines Were you ever nervous as a, as a manager? You've got to trust the players that you've got
2: Hooch fancies himself as a penalty taker And he was a good penalty taker He would score 9 yeah, out of 10 So the odds are in your favour
1: Yeah you, there's a really good quote you said about Keith Houchin Actually, you said anyone who can score sixty odd goals for Hartlepool must have something about them. Yeah,
2: <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, he's played at Hartlepool, scoring goals. I mean, I've got John Bird and Keith Wellwin, but I need a backup. And so I brought Uchin, and he did all right for himself, didn't he? Yeah. The FA Cup final as well. So for, must be the FA Cup with Uch. <laughs> that, that's it.
1: And one thing I thought was really nice actually is that you said Don Howe offered no excuses. You know, because I, I think yeah. a Premier League team, well, a First Division team, being beaten like that with a pitch that that's got straw on it, you you would imagine the easiest way is to sort of offer an excuse, oh well, the pitch was a leveler yeah. or whatever. But but he 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 came out yeah. and said no, you you deserve to win. Yeah.
2: He, he he saw what we did and how we did it and he appreciates professionalism when he sees it. He knows that his lads didn't stand up to the, the task which was put to them. So he's extremely desperate. But a great coach, Don. I knew Don from the FA coaching courses and everything. So the one thing within football, you tend to know most of the managers the coaches because mm. it's a very small group. There's only 92 managers and small number, there's far more <coughs> coaches now, but... We're a small group and so we, we know one another and we know how people react and he knows I wouldn't be gloating about it he'd know what work had gone into to achieving that so he'd look at it as a professional job
1: you all sort of know the pressures each of you are under as well that you yeah. probably only ones who can probably actually empathize with each other yeah. about what they're going through oh I said I
2: mean I, I sit now and you know listen to the experts the slaughtering managers and yeah all the ones who haven't done it, <laughs> they're yeah. up there telling them how they should. It's amazing how easy it is when you're not doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You then draw Liverpool in the next round. I, I just wonder, how, how did those games compare to playing? Because you, you played in FA Cup semi-finals. Like you said, you played yeah. in a League Cup final and won. Yeah. How, how did playing Liverpool, being leading a team against <laughs> Liverpool, and then in the replay, obviously, at you know this is Anfield. Sign, how, how did that compare to playing? I, you, you could never be playing. Right. Playing is the old and then... If you can't play, then
2: be a manager. And if you can't be a manager, be a coach. And if you can't be, be a fan, well, yeah, just be something to do with football. But you can never beat playing. So, you know, if I'm playing, yeah, I played regularly at Anfield. I loved it. Didn't get many positive results there, but mm. I loved the atmosphere. I loved the abuse I got and everything else. And it was the same when I went as a manager. The fact that I could take a team there and compete. It was great. That that makes you feel 10 feet tall. Yeah. You took to go, I brought this team, young lads who never dreamed of playing at Anfield and getting there and enjoying it and doing well. Yeah. What more can you ask for?
1: I mean, you, like you mentioned, you managed over a thousand games. And I'm sure you won't remember particular team talks or anything like that, but do you remember sort of setting up different for these sort of games, like Liverpool at home? Tactically, were you any different or did you go out no. just... Just sort of no, no, as if it was the same, same as you were playing anyone in the league. Yeah.
2: Right, those are the strengths of individual players and now you're going to change the way they play because surely you're playing to the strengths in the first place. So now you're going to change the way they play because of other people's strengths. Why don't you believe in your strengths? Mm. And so we believed in what we can do. We knew it was going to be difficult. It was going to be harder to close them down. And, but the work rate that I got out of the players, no matter, I tell you what, no matter what level you're at, if people are hurrying you, like... You, Hazel Graves and your your Crosbies and that we're doing and your, your your wide lads closing as well. It's hard, mm. you know. They, they anybody, no matter what level you're at, when people are closing and they're closing you right, they they're organised. They're, they're moving as a unit, mm. and you know I always like to talk about what we did attacking-wise because that's what fans want to watch and everything. But were we organised defensively? Yeah, we went. When one went, everybody went. And it, they, they, they would be shoving them one way. So they, they were pushing them down an alley. Yeah, it wasn't just go and dive in. You've got to go with, at an handle to push them across. To So you push them into other people. So there was it would be stupid to go and go, right, all right, we're just going to set off them. They'd take us to pieces. Mm. Do what we're good at. And uh, we were
1: good at that. And you did. And, and you know, a, a brilliant performance, a one-all draw... Ricky Sprague's equaliser, which I think, I think he hit the bar, didn't he? And then there was yeah. a, I think Keith Warwin had a I think yeah, hit the bar as well. Then I mean, Ricky Sprague lashing it into the top corner, and and I guess for the club, it was probably get better having a draw because then they had the replay and and the, I had the money coming into back.
2: the club. I mean, yeah, the board loved me. We saw <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm fortunate because I was brought up on a council estate, so I'm not used to a lot. So. What I want is enough to make me happy. And after that, then, uh, yeah, I, I'm not really that bothered. Mm. You know, as long as you know, my kids are fed and you know, I've got a decent house and you know, I, I can do what I want. I want. Money was never the attraction. It was what I was doing, I was enjoying. And I've always wanted to play football. I always wanted to manage football. And how lucky can you get? I, I've done mm. that all my life.
1: Brilliant. I mean, the, the, the replay at Anfield, 7-0... <laughs> Eight shots in the whole game and they score seven. It must have been a real shock to the system. I mean, just for the fact that you were so successful and you were you're were winning every week and, and no one ever kind of... No, because you
2: know how good they are. To get as the replay and getting there is an achievement. Now, you know, if they have their day, it seems to say, they were lethal. Mm. You know, you, you're at a, le- a different level. You are talking world-class players. So... <laughs> You'd then look at it and you break it down and could we have done anything different? And the answer is possibly no.
1: Yeah. So, so when you draw them again in 1986, what what were you thinking when the draw was made? Is there any sort of scars or were you worried about any of your players have any kind of mental scars from, from that defeat? Or were you kind of thinking we're this great. is a chance to get better?
2: Yeah. Thanks very much. Bring it on. Let's see what we can do this time. Mm. Have we learnt anything? Uh, we did get a bit better.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we learned that, that, that some dodgy decisions were, were, were kind of conspiring against York City. I mean, the home game, I, I, again, You know, this is before my time, so I'm having to watch them on YouTube and stuff, but Gary Ford's opener, then a, the most dubious of penalties. I, I can't, I've watched it so many times, I can't fathom what, what was actually, what
2: I, don't, was actually I, I, I can't tell you, because I don't know either. I haven't watched it again on YouTube, because it's gone. There's nothing I can do about it. But I know that there, Keith Walwyn scored. And then the referee gave a goal. Then changed, saw Grubbler lying down and changed his mind. There's no F saw but. Keith got there first. Grabler should have been sent off for fouling Keith, but I can't. We didn't have VAR.
1: Well, interestingly, there's no, there's no video footage of that game, the, the, the replay. Yeah, when it when it was three one to Liverpool. Liverpool uh, possibly every, had it everyone, destroyed. Everyone, yeah, everyone I've spoken to, whether it's a player or a fan who was at that match, says exactly the same yeah. as what you've just said there. Absolutely no way on earth was, was it a foul. And even even I think Matt Lawrenson and Alan oh, yeah. Hansen said, yeah. you know, they got away with it, and and they said it was the toughest game that they had on route. To win in the FA Cup right
2: yeah. year. Yeah, we, without any shadow of a, it was a goal. Keith got there first, poted past him, grubbler clattered him, referee gives a goal and then for some reason changed his mind.
1: Now yeah. is that a it, big club, small club thing, do you think? Is it a, you, you're the minnows and, you, and it's being an upset?
2: He, you would have to ask the referee if he's still alive, I doubt if he'll give you an answer because he possibly he'd be embarrassed. Mm. But yeah they're they they're human beings, they make mistakes and they possibly was. That, that thing it's grubbler. it's you can't be yeah. going two one up. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. How how were you in those situations then? Were you? Were, you, were you angry? Were you, were you? Would you try to speak to the referee?
2: Oh, I would. I'm sure I, I did. <coughs> when I finished managing. I went into referee assessor for the Premier League, and I used to talk to referees after games and talk to them, tell them what they did wrong. And I would always, but I would always give myself time to calm down and go in and be polite. Mm. it's very difficult for them to have a go back and if you're going ranting and raving you're not going to get a reply yeah it's easy for them to go away
1: interestingly if, if, on on the on the first game that the, the one-all draw after the penalty decision you are interviewed after the game because i think it was on match of a day or, mm-hmm. or whatever and, and and you are very kind of philosophical about it, like, oh, well, I don't agree with the decision, but you weren't, you know, you just sort of, well, the referee's given it and that's gone, and were yeah. you you're You've quite got, like that all the time, you, it was kind of oh, like water off the you, back?
2: It hurts, deep down, but he ain't going to change his decision if I go and yell in his face. Yeah. yeah so you try and talk to him and rationalise, and, you know, if you get him again, he might think, oh, he's all right, perhaps you give us a dodgy decision you don't know. I always used to tell me players, that referee is, is a human being. If you're giving him flack and stick all the way through, it's very easy for him to give you a card. If you're being nice to him, it's very Mm. If you deserve a card, it's very hard for him to put his hand in his pocket and give you one. So we're talking human nature. I'm not mm. talking about anything different yeah. in any walk of life. If you abuse people all the time, you don't expect them to be nice to you, do you? Mm.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. How were the players after that game? You know, Was there a sense of sort of pride coming so close to it? Or, or were the players kind of gutted because they knew they'd kind of been cheated, really? I know Gary Ford is very... Very adamant when I spoke to him about how you could tell the hurt in him. Oh, it's he, it's thought, still, he still yeah. feels cheated now. Of course he does,
2: yeah. And he's got a right to. We were. But there's nothing we can do about it. It's gone. It's history. It's there. It's a fact. They went through, we didn't. But should we have gone through? Yes. And were decisions wrong? Yes. Do referees make mistakes? Yes. But do I make mistakes as a manager? Yeah. yeah it's part of life. And it's not very nice. It, it would have been a great feather in your cack. It'd been better than beating didn't even Arsenal yet yeah, beating Liverpool at mm. Liverpool. Wow!
1: Yeah, it would have been. Yeah, incredible. Your final season at York City was 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 probably you're most disappointing was that just that kind of all good things come to an end I mean you lost key players didn't you and it's obviously difficult to replace the likes of you know John Byrne and people like that and Gary yeah. Ford as well Andy Leaning you were told to sell a decision that I don't think you agreed with at the no. time And how do you look back on your time with York and was it, was it is it sad that there was a bit of a bitter end towards the end of that no because it,
2: most partings are not pleasant done over a thousand games and you know, half a dozen clubs and, yeah, none of them... Yeah, if you've been working somewhere for five years and you've built up relationships, you're going to get upset. But what you've got to do is take the good bits out and try and dump the bad bits. Because within anything, there is always that. And life's too short to spend your life if I'd have done that or that, if that had happened, if you'd have said that, if you'd have done... That. I always tell me coaching stuff, Malcolm Crosby came with me quite a few of the other clubs, Viv came with me. A lot of my job is to manage up as well as down to keep them Offer backs, get them. Yeah, the, but every board member thinks they're money. and it's my job to keep them at, a, at a, a level. But if things start going wrong, then they start interfering more. So, your best job, best way of keeping a job is make sure things are not going wrong.
1: When you did go to Sunderland, I think Sunderland worked quite prepared. Well, you mentioned there they didn't give you a car for, for a start, but they the a demanded 20,000. <laughs> I don't think Sunderland were, were, were willing to pay it. So you kind of took a massive gamble by saying, I'll, I'll pay £10,000 if we, if someone don't get promoted. Yeah. I just wonder, what did your wife make of that at the she time? She took extra
2: you... money out on the mortgage, the new house. Kate's brilliant. What happens is I get a job. She moves the children. First of all, she sells the house, wherever house we're in. Then she buys a new house. Then she put, brings the children, puts them into school and looks after them. And then by the time I'm going home, my, my meal's on the table and... She's done all that, and she's done that consistently. So, you know, you need that support. You know, it's not... not, To do what I was doing, I couldn't have done without my wife. Um, You But it is. We worked as a partnership. So, when I was going to Sunderland... They wouldn't pay. So when Kate sold the house in York, in the Aussie, we were in the Aussie, lovely place, we were buying a house in Durham, she took extra money out on the mortgage just in case we didn't get promotion. So we'd have to pay the 10,000.
1: How did she take that? I mean, how do you drop that in conversation? <laughs> so, like, I've got, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm going I've, for the Sunday job, we've lost a car, and I also I've lost might the, lose 10 I've grand. I've
2: lost the car, the salary's gone down, <laughs> and if I don't get on promotion, it's, it's going to cost us uh, ten grand. And she believed in me. And that's the good bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that belief was
1: repaid, wasn't it? I mean, you, yeah. you did a fantastic job with Sunderland. You yeah. took Marco Gabbiadini with you as well, who who you'd brought through the ranks at York City. Yeah. What, at what age did you first see Marco play and what was it about him that, that you kind of saw in him? It's Marco
2: your age, Paul. He was the year above. Year above. So I, I was seeing local football, because my son was playing in local football at a decent level, and I saw Marco coming through, and he was running riot at, at kids' levels. You know, mm. I mean, he, he was a man among boys, and so you saw that. Uh, but also you saw an ability as well. There was there was a, a brain besides the power. And so... Yeah, it, it, for me, I gave him his debut at 16 or wherever he was at, at York, and he could handle it because he was a man mentally. And mm. then, you know, when he came to to, to pay 80,000 for him, was cheap. Yeah, and he came and scored goals because, and it suited him. I had, I had John Byrne here. Who helped to make him a good player. And, and I had Eric Gates at Sunderland, who was the same. He'd come in those little holes, a mm. player with a brain who could come into. So Gabiudini and Gates are legends up in, in Sunderland.
1: Yeah, it's a like G isn't it? Yeah.
2: Is yeah. The, the... yeah, I mean, and again, you're putting the, like, you've got somebody with a different footballing brain to somebody with pace and power. I had John Byrne and Keith Welwyn, and then he had. Eric Gates and Gabbiadini. And mm. it's the same, but you know, you try you see what works. I I was a centre half I know what I don't like. I don't like people dropping in little holes coming off me, and I don't like people running in behind me. So if I can get both, I get one mm. striker coming in little holes off me and one running them I'm giving them centre halves problems.
1: Yeah, and you like goal scorers as well that you? you say about throughout your book and, and other interviews that, you know and I know you had Andy Cole as well at yeah. Bristol City, didn't you? So I mean they're worth awaiting gold out there, I guess.
2: and, and you treat them that way. You mollycoddle them, and the player, other players moan. And I go, Right, he's getting your bonus on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just think of it that way. Yeah, I know he doesn't track back in there but you. have had to put an extra shift in, but who scored the goals? We won 2 0, and who got? Oh, he got both on, didn't he? Yeah. Mm. That's
1: why you. So have is to that tra- sort of man management then? Because I know yeah. John Byrne said that the players used to call him son of Dennis.
2: Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> he could play. Yeah, you know, give Bernie the ball. You know, if you're a defensive, you just give him the ball and he would create something. So once Bernie got on the ball, your wide players could make runs, your front player could make runs, because you knew he would going to see something and he could play things through, score goals as well, but Major. It caused problems by coming in them little holes and he could see people making runs. But you had to make sure people made the runs. Mm. So you need yeah, John Byrne needed the Gabbiadinis, yeah, the yeah, Andy Cole's. Yeah, he needed people.
1: I mean t- something like like I mentioned there was a, a massive success for you and Marco Gabbiadini getting loads of goals, John McPhail was your captain as well, mm. two promotions. I mean the level of success that you had in the nineteen eighties was was probably unrivaled, really. I mean, there can't have been many managers that had, you know, the promotions that you had and the, and the cut results that you had. Were you... Was there offers from other clubs? And I wondered whether you ever came close to ever being Stoke manager. I imagine oh, that would yes. have been a, Stoke, a kind of full circle moment Stoke for you.
2: Stoke, before I went to Sunderland, we're coming up, basically, at that time. And... Uh, when I was at Sunland, Peter Coates, again, I've said, started the radio station down in Stoke with Peter. Peter had taken over as chairman at Stoke, and Peter came in for me and wanted me go there. But as Peter said to me now, because I, I, I go in the boardroom with Peter now and down at Stoke, I'd been a lot richer if they'd gone. But Kate, again, uh, she's gone. Well, imagine the and then, which is the. The main end at, at Stoke, chanting Smith out, yeah, uh, it would destroy you because, yeah, I'd been on that booth and then from when I was six seven years of age. So she said, No matter what happens at any football club, sooner or later the crowd turn, yeah, and yeah, she was right. So, very she wise, was, wise woman, yeah.
1: You went on to, to manage some, you know, more big clubs in your Bristol City, I mentioned there, Oxford as well, West Brom, Wrexham, and today you're York City against Wrexham, which the first club you managed against the last West club that you managed. <laughs> I just wonder what your thoughts were on the game what, what's your thoughts on York City now and seeing your, seeing your two ex-clubs there in the, in the non-league well the
2: stadium was the first time I've been and brilliant stadium I, I don't know the financial setup, but I think we've got a, a long term lease on it which is, which is good so you can get the finances yeah. worked properly Our performance today was excellent yeah, they deserved a draw. Yeah, they did because yeah, Wrexham. Yeah, coming into the game, I thought I think it's a game Wrexham would win. You would expect them to. Mm-hmm. They would expect to. But no, York did extremely well and deserved a, a draw. So, and that's what I said to the new manager coming in. I saw him before. I said, yeah, you're all the best. I said, you know, just get them back playing the way they were before the last few results. You've been having good. You've mm-hmm. having a good season. You come in and things were going quite well. Then yeah. the wheels seem to come off for whatever reason, and there's usually important players injured. or Just if you can get back to what they were doing, your game finished comfortably halfway, which would be brilliant for the first
1: season back at this level. I thought you were going to say, I told him to get 100 points this season, see, <laughs> see if he can beat you. Actually,
2: they, <laughs> they played very well today, but I don't think they're going to get 100 points. <laughs> I
1: don't think so, not in my lifetime. So just finally, I mean, you played over 500 games, you managed over 1,000. If someone gave you the chance to sort of press a button and go back and re- relive one moment in football again, what, what would it be?
2: Making a league debut, a Arsenal away, I mean, it's not bad. <laughs> you know, that is, wow, I'm, you know, I'm there. Now, nobody can ever take that away from me. I played at the top level, even if it was only once. So that's what my childhood dream done. And then, obviously, you know, when I coming to the end of my football, then I started... I always wanted to be coach and, and manager, but, you know, so I've been very fortunate. As a kid, I wanted to play football. I did. As a as a player, I wanted to be a manager. I did. And <laughs> since I left management, I've worked for the FA on disciplinary. Yeah, i worked for the uh, Premier League on match delegates. So I'm still involved as far as I go Stoke every home game and I'm on the board of Stoke community. So I'm still involved... Uh, I'm president of Stoke City Old Boys Association, so we all still get together on a Tuesday and have a rabbit about the old days. So there is footballs give me a lot.
1: Absolutely, Dennis. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for, for kind of coming into the studio to sp- speak to us, and hope you've enjoyed talking about you know your time at York City, and um, and thanks for your lovely tribute to your wife as well. That was uh, that was emotional <laughs> for me listening to it. As, as everyone in here, I'm, I'm sure, will think the same. So f- thank you so much. Pleasure. So thanks for listening. Massive thank you to Dennis Smith for coming into York Hospital Radio Studios. It was fantastic to meet him face to face and also to meet his son and his grandson who, who were there uh, whilst we were doing the recording. Hope everyone enjoyed that. I know a lot of people have been in touch over the years asking to get him. And He was just someone I didn't I didn't have a contact for until uh, Robin, one of the listeners, uh, contacted me and said he could put me in touch with Dennis. So that, that was great. So thank you for that. And you know, that goes for anyone really who, who has a contact and thinks there might be someone worth interviewing Then, if they've played for York City, then there's a good chance I'll, I'll, I'll want to take you up on that offer. So brilliant to have Dennis in the studio and and I thought he, he spoke so well. He's he's, he's was incredible. I mean I, I wrote so many questions down and when he started answering he was just ticking them all off one by one before I'd even got a chance to, to read them out so that was, for me always feels like a sign of a good interview so I was, I was really happy with the results and hope you guys were who, who were you know after that episode for so long. I also want to thank Keith Lee who used to sort of edit the, the sort of early series of, of your Hospital Ball. He came in and did the producing for that episode. Uh, Keith's not been well this past year so I really really appreciate him kind of taking time out to, to come and record that and um obviously wish him really well. People remember Keith from the live events as well, so he's, he's a really special part of York Hospital Radio. So massive thank you to him. The series is gonna continue. I know I said there are probably just two specials but you know there were so many contacts from away I thought it was it was probably time to do another series. So this is the first of series 10. We've got Andy Leaning coming up very, very shortly as well. Another one who played in the 80s, and it'll just follow a bit of a path from there. Going into the 90s with Alan Little, then the 2000s with um, Matty Blair, Clayton Donaldson, and Sean Newton. So I hope people are excited about the series. Remember, as always, if, you, if you're willing to donate, you enjoy these episodes, please do. justgivingcom forward slash York Hospital Radio. Any donation, honestly, even if it's a pound, it is greatly received. We need about £8,000 a year to, to kind of uh, stay afloat keep the york hospital radio going provides a service to people in hospital a really important service so if you can donate anything uh, that would be greatly appreciated if you can't do that but you do enjoy these podcasts you're listening on spotify and please give it a rating it's up to you whether you give it five stars but, but do give it a rating that really helps with algorithms and stuff like that getting people to kind of have it appear on their recommended list similarly with apple itunes if you can write a review That would be fantastic. So um, thanks again. It's really great to to have a a series back for people. I know people have been really supportive of the podcast over the years, and I'm I'm delighted that I can get a few more together and, and hopefully people enjoy the results. So until next time, thank you very much.